podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? It's Monday, it's early, I'm still on my first cup of tea. I'd give that about a six and a half out of ten. Yeah, it's early being the key thing, I'd give it a three out of ten. Uh, Liverpool won a game of football at the weekend. Carl, we have discussed it on post-match row, but it is worth reiterating the fact that we have now won back-to-back Premier League football matches which is much nicer than losing multiple Premier League football matches, it must be said. Yes, yes, I, I fully agree there, wholeheartedly so. It was, uh, not to go too much into the game itself again, but just the, the feeling around it, I think it was an odd match overall. I think that that's still the case. We thought that straight after the match, and it still feels that way to me after another little watch through. Um, I think we deserve to win based on doing some right things and having chances, but we didn't deserve to necessarily win 2-0. Um, there's work to be done, but like you say, we, we you can only fix one sort of step at a time. You can only put things right one game at a time, and at the moment we have done that in a couple of matches, and we've at least given ourselves a bit of a platform to go from and maybe halted too much of the negativity, let's say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I I would say something like a 3-2 or a 4-3 probably would have been a better reflection on what actually took place. Um, our goalkeeper was outstanding. Our forwards were quite good. I thought the rest was a bit of a mess. I thought our midfield was poor. Moments from Besetic and Fabinho. Moments, not performances. Defensively, good individually. Bar Gomez, collectively, fairly shambolic. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Newcastle today. We're here to talk about Liverpool versus Real Madrid in the Champions League. Liverpool obviously lost to Real Madrid in last season's Champions League final. The second time that had occurred in four years, which is both miserable to talk about and horrible to remember. Real are having a funky season, Carl. They are second in La Liga, eight points behind Barcelona, who, if we're being honest, are no great shakes. They've been strong defensively, but there's definitely massive flaws in that Barcelona team. Real have lost three of their last nine league games, three of their last ten league games, uh, to Rayo Vallecano, Villarreal and Mallorca. Those are all games you would be really expecting them to win quite comfortably. They've also drawn at home with Osasuna, Girona. Again, two teams you'd expect them to beat quite comfortably. And Real Sociedad. And again, Sociedad are decent, but it's a game you'd expect Real to win. But they are chundering along. Kind of like a zombie that won't be killed. Getting players fit again. And still lurking behind Barca. And if Barca have a few weeks where they stumble, Real are well positioned to close that gap. In their Champions League group, they finished top ahead of Leipzig, Shakhtar and Celtic. They beat Celtic 3-0 at Parkhead. Not a, not a result that actually reflected the game, it must be said. Then they beat Leipzig at home, beat Shakhtar at home, drew away with Shakhtar and lost away to Leipzig before hammering Celtic in a scoreline that did reflect what took place in the game. Um, What have you made of them this season? Because there's there's some oddities about this team. 
there are some oddities. I think that this is um, a little bit of an extension of what we've talked about in the Premier League, and that is Real among the, the, the clubs elsewhere in Europe who have dropped off from last season. Um, let's, say, let's say the top clubs, we've, we've spoken about Liverpool, obviously Man City, um, most of the top four from last season, in fact, in England. Plenty of others below them as well, like at West Ham, they're in the relegation zone after European season, etc. Uh, I think that Real are another one who have had a quite considerable drop-off in terms of performance level, a little bit in terms of consistency, although not that dissimilar to last year uh, in some regards. Uh, some things never, ever, ever change about them. For example, Eden Hazard is out injured. Um, other things that don't change about them is that just as they approach a, a game against Liverpool, Thibaut Courtois is in immense form um, and seems to be you know, on a one-man mission to never concede a goal again at times. But overall, I, I think that this is a little bit of an in-between season for Real Madrid. You know, There wasn't huge activity from them in the, in the transfer market. Again, they're kind of letting some of these younger players and people who have been younger and are now coming into sort of prime sort of ages really become a team, I think. And I, I expect that they probably thought that that would be enough to win La Liga and challenge at least for Europe again, given you know they won it last season. Um, but I don't think it's, it's quite gone to plan with, with everybody, let's say. I think you know, people like Rudiger has been very, very hit and miss for them. They've had to rely a good bit more on someone like Danny Ceballos in recent weeks, for example. Um, so I think Ancelotti's had a bit more squad juggling of the maybe that has cost them at times but then on the other hand you've seen people like Rodrigo step forward and be quite a bit more prominent this year than he was last year maybe yeah I think that's very fair um, you mentioned Courtois he is he is playing at a ludicrous level once again setting himself up for most likely a man of the match performance tomorrow night um, the defence is a really interesting thing because if you were to look at the defensive players at Real, I'm not sure you could really cobble together a top-end back four. You've got Adriozola and Carvial as right-back options. Danny Carvial still the starter. Um, Champions League final performance against us aside, he has been fairly poor for the last couple of seasons, I would say. The left-back is Ferland Mendy. They've also got the option of playing David Alaba out there. At centre-back, you've got Eder Militao, Alaba, Nacho, uh, Vallejo, and you, you mentioned Antonio Rudiger, who, it's not that he's been hit and miss this season. I just think he's a hit and miss defender. I think this is just him. Because if you think of his career and where he's been, when he was at Stuttgart, he was wildly inconsistent. He went to Roma. He had a, he had two seasons there, one on loan and one after they made it permanent. He looked like a train wreck in a back four, but was good in a back five. And then he spent five years at Chelsea. And for the entirety of the time they played a back four, he was either a liability or he couldn't get in the team. And when Thomas Tuchel moved to a back three, he improved enormously and people were putting him into conversations that he didn't really belong in about the best defensive players in the Premier League. Goes to Real, they're playing a back four and once again, it just doesn't suit him. He's not equipped from a fundamentals point of view, I don't believe, to play in a back four. Yeah, it's quite possibly the case. I mean, we saw him probably his best spell, his most consistent spell at Chelsea was when he was on the outside, the left-hand side of that three and allowed to get very, very high um, up the pitch into sort of the sort of the number eight channel, really. That's where he spent a lot of the time during Chelsea build-up play under Tuchel. Um, his recovery pace is obviously very, very good, which allows him to, to, to really get back in behind the wing-back whenever he needs to at short notice good at obviously covering counter-attacks in that regard, and he's pretty decent aerial as well. And he loves a completely pointless shot from 40 yards. So again, being in that area of the pitch is great for him. Um, I, I've never really been a Rudiger fan, I'll be perfectly honest. I find him quite an annoying defender. And some of the things that he does, 
it, it gives me the impression when I'm watching him that he thinks he's a lot better than he actually is, you know, when he's doing his winding up of the, the opposition by doing that really over-exaggerated stepping motion as the ball's running out of play, that kind of thing. For the number of mistakes that he makes, I think that kind of thing just sort of smacks of um, a self-inflated sense of uh, uh, self-worth or, or at least consistency in a defensive sense, to be perfectly honest. I, th- I think that if you're going to play with him, you need someone super, super... Uh, organizational and you know able to keep him in check beside uh Alaba, i think mm. is a good defender very very good perfectly good defender but i'm not sure that he's the the organizational mastermind that you need at the back if you're going to play uh someone like uh, rudiger as your partner for example we've spoken about militao lots of times before i like him but again is he absolutely elite he can definitely have elite matches but in a consistency sense i think real have had a Quite a long line of much better, much more consistent centre backs mm. in the past. Out of the- I think he's he's quite like Rudiger in that he he needs that firm guiding hand next to him, and he needs somebody who because Militao, like Rudiger, is front footed and front footed only. You're you're never going to want to rely on him to be the sweeping type of centre back because he'll do something bananas and. And he, has, I mean, to be honest, Alaba has to be the more defensive, more responsible one yeah. set up, regardless of who he's partnering. So you do see him be much more restrained than we'd ever see him at Bayern because he, he obviously takes on that responsibility himself and realizes that if someone else is going walkabouts, he's the one who has to stay there. And so he does an element of self sacrifice sort of thing for the team, I think, because he recognizes that nobody else is going to stay in place. Yeah, and like when we think of him at Bayern or for his national team. He played central midfield for his national team with quite an attacking mindset. And at Bayern, he was the best left-back in the world for the better part of a decade, primarily because of his ability on the ball, more so than his defensive work, which was very, very good. But his passing and crossing abilities were the things you'd think of. Yeah. Rudiger, like, he's, he's, a much better, he's much better on the ball than he is defensively. Defensively, there's just there's a lot of Lovren in him. A lot of Lovren. On the Lovren scale, he's probably about a six and a half. And anything over a one is far too much Lovren to have in your defender. So, yeah, Rudiger wouldn't be for me. And, like, I, I'd much rather see Alaba playing left-back. If I was making decisions at Real Madrid, the primary thing I'd be looking at this coming summer would be a calming centre-back to play next to Militao, allowing Alaba back to left-back and a right-back. Those would be the two things I'd want to bring in. Um, In midfield, we've seen a change because Casemiro is gone. He is a Manchester United player now. And Aurelian Chouameni has stepped in to the breach, signed from under the noses of Liverpool. And he has become sort of the the new Casemiro there. Uh, Camavinga has played an increased role this season, while Tony Cruz and Luka Modric have had their minutes reduced as their legs age, and they try to manage those two players. And like you mentioned earlier, Danny Ceballos has seen himself given quite a substantial role in the squad this season. And this is a player that they'd written off. This is a player that they had decided a few years ago, wasn't good enough to play for Real Madrid. And I think he spent, what, 18 months on loan at Arsenal. Um, A decent player, no doubt, but never has never shown he's good enough for Real. Was was really good at, at Betis. Goes to Real. He's clearly a level below what they're actually looking for. But he's still there, still hanging about, and now playing an important role for them. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, 
you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, uh, again, I think it's necessity and, and what he's been left with rather than Sebastian necessarily earning a spot in the team in the first place. Certainly had a couple of games where um, Ancelotti has sort of you know, spoken up his level of uh, effort and, and performance during the game. But again, I think it's more a case of he's sort of there, he's he's the one who's left fit and therefore he's got the chance. And if you play well, fair enough, you can stay in the side until everyone else is fit. But I wouldn't expect that if everybody was available, that he's going to be anywhere near that 11, to be honest. He's he's okay. He's done all right in some games. He's not, again, somebody who I would ever turn to and say, oh, you know, he's going to play 2,000 league minutes this season or 2,500 league minutes and play a crucial role. He has been in and out. He's made almost as many sub-appearances as starts. You know, if you look at game time-wise, he's more or less for La Liga on around the same as Nacho and Asensio, which kind of tells you the sort of the level of, of reliability um, that that they do place on him. Yes, much more now, but again, it's because you know, Cruz has been out, Modric has been rotated a bit more. Uh, they've had to make changes in midfield. Valverde has been used sort of in that hybrid right side role, dropping yeah. into the, the sort of central areas in possession as well. So it, it's it's probably more a case of Real lacking an extra signing and Sevilla still being there as obviously one of the Spaniards and he didn't want to leave rather than anything else. Yeah, I think that's very fair. You, you just mentioned Fede Valverde and let's talk about him for a second. He has long been very, very high on your list of um, dream Liverpool signings. He will be very high on, on my list as well. I think there's a real case that going into the World Cup, he was the most informed midfield player in the world. He is playing that unusual hybrid role where he's kind of a right winger, but kind of a midfielder. Can do pretty much anything you want. Can play pretty much anywhere you want. He's played right back. I don't think he'd have any issue playing centre-back if you asked him to. He's played all the midfield roles, holding, central, attacking, now performing extremely well as a sort of auxiliary winger. This guy's a really special player, Carl. This guy is very, very special. And for somebody that Real bought for somewhere in the region of three million as an 18-year-old from Penarol, what a return on investment this has turned out to be. Yeah, he's a sensational player. He's, there's there's not many more complete midfielders around, I don't think. Um, he is one of the most determined characters anywhere in European football uh, in, in terms of the defensive match situations and attacking match situations. He takes on so much responsibility, considering he's not... I mean, he's 24. He's not old. He, he's not... You know, one of the the most established names in this squad, which still has the Cruz and Benzema and all the rest of those names. You know, he's he's fought and earned his way into this team. And I mean, the first time I I really watched him play with any sort of consistency was when he was on loan at Depor, uh, which was seventeen, eighteen, eighteen, nineteen, one of those two seasons. Seventeen, eighteen, yeah, yeah. And I mean. You could see right from there what he was in terms of type of player. Maybe not how good he could be, but that type of player who is willing to do absolutely everything and will fight and can run more than everybody else, they usually go pretty high. As long as they're not idiots, as long as they don't have terrible luck with injuries or something like that, they'd be pretty strong players. So you can definitely see he was then going to be really good. Mm. But I do think that in the last 24 months, he has gone on like three levels, let's say. He's, he's very, very close to the very, very top tier of midfield players anywhere. And like you say, his form pre-World Cup, nobody could touch him. Absolutely nobody. That was a, a confidence thing as much as anything else because he started the season with a couple of goals, played really well in a couple of big games. And we, we, you know, we've seen that happen with crap players, let alone good players, when they just get yeah. that groove. They look like they are untouchable. But for him, he's, he's actually untouchable because he's so strong and so powerful, so quick can play everywhere, covers for everybody. He's, he's, I can imagine when Ancelotti writes out his team names, maybe apart from like at one end of the pitch and then the other, so you've got Courtois who has to play and maybe Benzema when he's fit, he has to play. Valverde is probably next. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And when you factor in that he's added goals to his game this season, like he came into the season 
with a career record of nine goals in 216 games. And this season, he's got 12 and 35. If he's going to be 10-plus league goals and 15-plus goals in all competitions moving forward, he's going to be a major, major problem for everybody. His long-range shooting is exceptionally good, but it's also how he times his runs and gets himself into clever positions. I think he is very likely the next captain of Real Madrid. I would imagine he's very high on the shortlist of people to become the next captain of Uruguay as well, because he seems to have that that ability to put the team on his back a little bit. Not Not as much as a vocal leader, but just as somebody who, when things are going against you, he's the one that will go out. He'll smash somebody in midfield, or he'll pick the ball up and drive at the at the opposition and create something or, you know, rattle in a shot. He has that, that Gerard-esque type of, you know, right, everybody get out of the way. I'll, I'll just take care of this for now kind of way about him. If I was to give you £120 million to buy Liverpool one midfielder this summer and told you that your options were Jude Bellingham or Federico Valverde, who would you buy? You're a horrible man, you know that. I know I am, and it's early, so this is your punishment for having me out of bed so early in the day. <laughs> um, oh, God. And we're not adding anybody else. One signing. This got to be fitted in. He's defensively more, and we need more for Liverpool, don't we? Yeah. So it has to be fitted. That's the thing. You see, he he's Jude's equal, I believe, in attack. He's significantly better defensively. And yes, Jude is nearly five years younger. But Fede right now is world class. He right now is a transcendent player. Jude might be this level of player in two to three to four years. But for now, there's, I think, a significant gulf between them. In attack, Real have... Loads of good options. Karim Benzema is having yet another great season in terms of goals per game. 11 and 13 in the league. 16 and 23 in all competitions. Um, but yet to score in the Champions League this season. Now he has been, so he has, he has suffered from injuries this season, which is, you know, only natural given his age. Marcos, Marco Asensio has rolled back the clock a little bit and is having a good season following a number of poor seasons, but it is a contract year for him, and perhaps that's where his main motivation lies. Uh, Ancelotti recently said he didn't care whether whether Asensio signed a new deal or not, which is quite telling. Uh, Lucas Vasquez is still kicking around as, a, as an important squad player. But the two Brazilians have been exceptional. Um, Vinicius, about two years ago, decided that the time for pissing about was over. and started to show what he was capable of. Last season, he was one of the best players in Europe. And this season, he's been very good as well. And Rodrigo has also now decided that the pissing about stage is over. And he has been, I think, outstanding this season. I love him as that second striker. Like He spent a lot of his time at Real playing in wide areas. But I love him almost as a number 10, just behind the striker able to manipulate that space and use his burst of pace to get beyond and worry defenders who just can't touch him in the box because he, he will he will find a way to either get by them or get a penalty out of them. And then they've got this young kid, Alvaro Rodriguez, who recently made his La Liga debut. He's had two appearances this season. Uh Carl, this six foot four, eighteen year old Looks like he might save them many, many tens of million uh, in terms of needing to buy a big striker to go with Endrick when he arrives in a couple of years. Uh, this kid looks special. Another Uruguayan, though, born in Spain. Um, th- there's not many clubs that have the caliber of options that Real have, is there? No, um, I mean, it used to be the case all the time anyway. It just used to be because they kept buying everybody who was any good. And now they have obviously had a few 
years um, of trying to buy very, very obviously good talents at, at a much younger age, letting them have a couple of years, obviously sort of finding their way, finding their feet. Um, Vinny is maybe the very, very best example of that. But even like Valmeda that we've just spoken about is a, is a product of the same approach, buying very, very young talents, letting them have a bit of uh, time to adapt to Spanish football, to Real Madrid's first team system and then really really becoming the players that they hoped that they would be it won't happen with all of them obviously and uh, I'll be honest I, I saw him make a couple of minutes off the bench but I think that's it for Alvaro so far um, so they're very very high on him um, no no pun intended about the, the, the size of that man man child but he could be Someone to watch out for, let's put it that way, especially late on in games. He's not likely to, to play a starting role, obviously, at the minute. But if we consider that probably the the equivalent of him that they've had for the last year or two has been Mariana Diaz, who has made some interesting career choices, let's say, um, this is probably going to be a step up for them, both in terms of uh, overall commitment to the cause and potentially output on the pitch as well but even before you get to the stage of worrying about him you have to worry about we spoke about Valverde maybe being one of the most informed midfielders I think Vinny for quite a while has been one of the most informed forwards in general uh, he's a sensational player and we have to point out here he has been suffering horrendous horrendous abuse in Spain over the last Six months at least, but actually mm. it's been going on for a lot longer than that. It's just come to sort of prominence. It seems to be the case that a lot of clubs where Real Madrid are visiting at the minute, some sections of the supporters seem to see it as a an, a duty almost now that they have to be racially abhorrent towards him. And it is so, so horrible to see. And players are speaking about it after the match, but I have to say even not very much, to be honest. You know, I don't, I don't really know why stronger statements aren't being made but like there was one of the uh, opposing players who they played at the weekend and said I think we have to tone it down a bit uh, that was the equivalent of what he said and that's just ridiculous because it has been honestly some of the worst stuff that I've heard even out of Spain yeah and it it's getting to the point where La Liga themselves need to step in and just say to clubs if your fans are found to be doing this and it's not like it's hard to prove it because it's audible on television. So imagine what it's like in the stadium. If your fans, if one fan is found guilty of this moving forward, you will not have fans in your stadium for the rest of the year. And I don't mean the rest of the season. I mean the rest of the year. That's what the punishment will be because you clearly cannot control your fans. So if this continues this is what this what this is what needs to happen because this needs to stop because la liga is struggling at the moment financially it's struggling to keep up with the premier league on and off the pitch and this is one of the premier talents in la liga in the post messi and cristiano era this guy stands out as one of the beacons of la liga to move forward but he's not going to stick around if this is what's going on. He is going to demand to leave and go somewhere where he's not going to be racially abused just because he happened to be born black and just because he happened to be really, really talented at football. This can't continue. And it, like it's already been hinted at that he might well be agitating this summer to get out of Spain because he just doesn't want to put up with it anymore. And nobody could blame him. Not one person could sit there with a straight face and say that he's overreacted. Because as you said, what's what's very clear is that this is almost a coordinated effort among far-right fan groups who plague Spanish football. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's so systemic at this point, I don't even know whether I'd say it's far right. This is just people going to the match. This is just, they're not even necessarily certain sections of the fan base. They are just people who happen to be where he is celebrating or people who happen to be sat at the area of the pitch he's attacking or anything like that. Honestly, some of it has been just ridiculously bad. Like, the people who are doing it, and like you say, you can hear it over the TV, you can see it on the cameras, 
they don't look you know any particular hardcore set of supporters or anything like that these are just people going to the game and being horrible hello i'm here to annoy you i'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on epl index we don't just have the anfield index stuff we've got epl index as well which covers the entirety of the premier league and we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on eplindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, and the, the, the thing is they're, they're caught on camera. They're caught on camera on a weekly basis. And yet those same people will file into the stadium the following week and nothing's done about it. And this is like this is where La Liga really needs to start clamping down. If the clubs aren't going to police their own fans, La Liga needs to say you're not capable of having fans in your stadium. And when clubs start losing out on the millions per year that match revenue provides to them, then maybe they'll take a harder approach themselves and start banning these abhorrent scumbags from stadiums. What a what an outrageously bad way to live your life to think that you can just go to a football match and racially abuse somebody because you think it's funny or it's cool or you're gaining some sort of advantage. Like you wouldn't like it if someone came to your house and just spat in your face nonstop for 90 minutes and then fucked off home. See you next week. This is disgusting. Um, Right, Real. Carl, overall thoughts on them this season, other than obviously the the, the 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 sluggishness of some of their play because of last season. Do you think is there one area other than let's we we know the defense is is a, is a work in progress, but mm. let's look at that midfield for a second. It hasn't it hasn't functioned as well as it has in previous years. Is that as simple as Chuameni is a different type? Of number six, then Casemiro and the others took a bit of time to adjust to having that different type of player there? A little bit. I think it's multiple things, though, to be honest. I think, you know, partly it is just what we spoke about before, that everybody's level is down. You know, there's the squash together of last season, the squash together of this season, the mid-season break of the World Cup. People probably having that on their minds, let's be perfectly honest. Um, I think Germany started the season really, really well, but, you know, in and out, being sort of allowed to, to grow into the role a little bit, Camavinga giving a bit more game time, Camavinga then also playing left back for a little bit. Um, Cruz not as consistent uh, during the first half of the season, I don't think. Luka Modric obviously has been sort of, uh, I wouldn't say taken out, but certainly rotated more this season than he would have been in many of the previous seasons. Like he's, in La Liga this season, he's 14 starts, seven sub appearances. So a third of his games are off the bench which is not normal let's say so it is definitely a little bit of a transition season there there's also the aspect of the Valverde thing being the it's not new for them but it is a hybrid way of playing so everybody kind of has to be on point to go from 4-3-3 to 4-4-2 and different build-up and transition stages you know if you get one or two people getting it wrong that midfield can be wide open it can be got at a little bit easier let's say uh, and if the defence that we again we've spoken about is not absolutely perfect behind them, it is going to cost you from time to time. I think uh, Liverpool fans have had a pretty good view of why how that can go wrong this season when things aren't all in a line. But what I would say about Real as a whole is most of the big games or the games where they really needed to turn up, they have still won. Uh, they mm. lost. They lost to, to Barca in the um, what do you call it in the Supercopa. Uh, but apart from that. Copa del Rey, they beat Atletico Madrid, the Club World Cup, they've just won it again. Uh, not not the most difficult of opponents, uh, obviously, anyway, but you've got to beat what's in front of you. It's not their fault that uh, 
They did beat Barca as well. They beat they absolutely hammered Barca earlier in the season mm. as well. That was the October, I think October game, and they were like comfortably, comfortably the better side. Like so, there's a couple of really big games coming up for them now. Their, their run of fixtures is us, and then Atletico Madrid, and then Barca in the Copa del Rey semis, and then I think they play Betis, and then back to us, something like that. So it's a, it's a very, very big run of games, and then the Clásico of La Liga is mid-March as well. So this is a really key period of the season for them. It's Real Madrid and the, the expectation is always there, but also that mentality of most of the team and Ancelotti still there, that you wouldn't be surprised if they didn't lose any of these big games coming up, like none of them at all. And then maybe at the end of it, lose at home to Real Valladolid or something like that. Because it's not an absolutely elite side, but mm. they still know how to get the job done a lot of the time. And... I don't think that this is going to be in any way, shape or form an easy match, an easy tie. And they're certainly in better form than Liverpool have been. But there are areas of the team which can be got at for sure. Right. So I think we're likely... The last two games they've played Militao and Rudiger as the centre-backs against uh, Osasuna and Elche. Um. I'm assuming he'll go with the same, with Alaba playing left-back. Carviel started against Elche. Nacho started at right-back against Osasuna, but Carviel came on. I assume Danny Carviel will start in the right-back position. So Courtois, Carviel, Militao, Rudiger, and and, uh, Alaba as the back four. I'm actually wrong. Nacho started at centre-back next to Militao against Elche. And uh, Alaba was left back, but I'm assuming it'll be Rodrigo and Militao in midfield. They have options, um, but I, I just assume if fitness depending, and obviously Tony Cruz has had injury issues. He's not travelled. He's been ill, so he's uh, he's out. So I'm assuming we see Luka Modric, Kamavinga playing as the six. And Danny Ceballos yeah, as the midfield three? Yeah, I assume Ceballos. Like I say, he's, he's he's the one. He's basically last man standing. So he's got his opportunity now. He should come in. The only other way is if they either change system or go very, very big and play Valverde the centre mid and put an extra forward. But that is an option more, I would think, for the home leg rather than the, the first leg and it being away. So mm. maybe just a little bit more reserved in that regard so Ceballos in I would would guess as well we know Vinicius will be left wing it's just a matter of who starts as the number nine Um, Ancelotti said that Benzema should be okay Uh, he didn't start the league win over Osasuna he did get two goals against Elche in the previous game but it looks like he's going to be good to go so I assume he starts as the nine and then Rodrigo comes off the bench yeah he said after the um uh, the Elche game, he was not going to play Benzema against Osasuna just because obviously he was coming back from, from injury himself. Didn't want to overwork him and he wanted him available for the Champions League. So he just rested him for that match completely anyway. So it is a pretty strong team. Mm-hmm. Um, you would say, though, there are there are weak points in it. Um, perhaps physically, Luka Modric and Danny Ceballos as a pair of eights can't get through the type of work rate that is is you know necessary when you play a top team but we're not exactly um we're not exactly overrunning midfields at the moment and then obviously they've got that center back pairing Militao and, and Rudiger there's definitely errors in in that pairing um for us then we come into the game having won back-to-back games, but we weren't overly impressive against Newcastle, and Everton are the worst team in the league, so I don't know how much you can really take from that. Uh, though they did obviously beat Leeds at the weekend through the weirdest goal you're likely to see this Premier League campaign. Um, but do you think will Jurgen run with the same team again for a third game in a row? which would be Trent... Well, it's not the third game in a row because obviously Virgil came in for, for Mata, but the rest was the same. Trent, Gomez, Virgil, Robbo, Henderson, 
Fabinho, Besetic, Salah, Gakpo, Nunes. Is is that the best eleven to go with, or do you think there could be some changes? Because Matip didn't, or sorry, Gomez didn't play well against Newcastle. Henderson was poor as well. Is there scope for either of those two to be swapped out for a Joel Matip, who again not in great form, or a Naby Keita in midfield? I, I'm, I'm not putting Joel Matip back in the side, no, and not for this game especially. Um, I mean, there's there's nothing about Joel Matip's game over the last, let's say, even a few weeks or a couple of months or whatever you want to suggest that he can come in and perform to the net level needed for this. At least Gomez has the recovery pace. Um, I thought Gomez's first half was, was fairly decent in dealing with uh, Newcastle's balls in behind the defence. I thought he covered okay behind a, a couple of people. It wasn't a whole game. It certainly wasn't a performance like it was against Everton, but there's at least more there than there is in Matip's game at the moment. And I think against Vinny Jr. on the left-hand side especially, I, I don't want Matip being the covering centre-back. Gomez has to be there at least for the pace, if nothing else. Like, so Yeah, that's, good. that's a good point. Uh, I'd be leaving that back four, leaving the goalkeeper, obviously. I mean, the midfield... I'm not really sure what the story is. Like Cater started a couple of games in a row there where we started being marginally better, let's say, and then Henderson has come back in for him and then he hasn't even come off the bench in the last game. So I'm not really sure if that's like Cater back out of favour or what the story is. I, obviously, we don't know the full extent of Nunez's injury yet either. Um, if Nunez is out, Is it going to be Firmino starts just because he can play through the middle? Or is it going to be Jota because he can play from the left where Nunez has been? I don't really like either of those options given the fitness levels of the players, but maybe that'll have to be a job share between them, to be honest. I think the midfield's going to stay the same. If we had yeah, one, I, if I we do had as well. one powerful midfielder, like one genie or one... I don't know. Take whoever you want, basically. But anyone who had a bit of real strength about them... I'd fancy us to overrun them in midfield a little bit. I can yeah. say just try and basically barge them off the ball at every opportunity. But we don't have that. And I worry a little bit about us trying to do that and not having the physicality and getting passed around, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like Luka Modric might be 43 years of age, but he remains an absolute genius with the ball at his feet. And, despite the fact that Danny Ceballos isn't isn't Real Madrid level, he is a technically proficient player um, who is good and comfortable on the ball and, and, you know, can work his way into good positions and, and move the ball quite well. And then you've got that kind of dynamic nature of Camavinga moulded with his own extremely high technical level. So, yeah, I mean, that, that midfield is where I am concerned because Fab has unquestionably been better in the last few games. But I don't think he, he's been good in the last... Like, he had moments in that Newcastle game that were good. And he had moments where he, again, looked like he was running in concrete. Um, Henderson pressed pretty well against Everton and his legs showed it on Saturday where he really did struggle to get up and down the pitch and then Besetic is is 18 I mean you don't really want to be asking him to go and carry a midfield against Real Madrid it is that's the biggest concern for me I mean I obviously have concerns about Vinicius against Trent and I have concerns about Valverde against Robbo. And you're always going to have concerns when they've got Benzema. But it's the midfield area that really worries me. And I, I do kind of feel like we could just get completely outplayed in that area. Yeah, um, to be honest, I think Darwin, if he if he's not fit, obviously, it could be a really big loss for us as well, just as an outlaw mm. more than anything else. Like... Um, again, it's the physicality aspect. He's probably, I'd say, he's probably the most physical player we've got in the side at the minute. Oh, by far, by, yeah, by, by by quite a distance. Like, so that's that's going to be quite a big miss if if he's not there. Like I say, as an out ball, as someone who can carry the ball very very quickly, very high upfield, 
Um, this might be a game where we are almost better off playing the way we did against Man City, you know, being quite deep, quite compact and trying to hit them on the counter. And if he's not there to, to aid that, I think I'd go with Jota for that reason. But it's not ideal, is it? He's not He's not exactly had a lot of game time. He's not in a, a moment where his technical rhythm is really going to be on point. But maybe it only takes a minute. So I think I'd probably edge with Jota. I I wouldn't allow Jota anywhere near the field to start the game. He was absolutely shit against Newcastle. He couldn't run. He looked like he looked like Robbie Fowler now in the Legends game. That's what he looked like. <laughs> Robbie Fowler must be what age is Robbie? Robbie must be forty five. Robbie, are you going left wing? Harvey Elliott. Robbie Fowler is forty seven years of age, Carl, and that's what Jota looked like. He moved exactly like Robbie Fowler would. Same level of pace and all. Um, I would be more inclined to try and pack the midfield and string four across. Go Henderson, Fabinho, Pesetic, and bring in Naby Keita to play on the left and just try and be as compact as possible and play Gakpo and Salah as a two. Not a whole lot of speed there, is there? There's no speed there, but there's. <laughs> I'd rather have no speed in midfield than no speed in attack. And Gakpo doesn't have great a great turn of pace. Once he gets moving, he's quick. And maybe you could, you know, you could make the case for playing Gakpo left wing against someone like Carvial. But uh, Bobby didn't. Bobby wasn't good at the weekend either. Um, we don't really have an option. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we just there's just no real option there. Mm-hmm. If Darwin is out, we are in we are in trouble up front because. Mo is hit and miss at the moment. And Gakpo is still kind of feeling his way into things. Now, he's he's looked a lot better in the last two games, specifically since he scored that first goal against Everton. Uh, he started to really click and look like the player we thought we were getting. But I, I just, I can't start, I can't start Diogo Jota based on what we saw at the weekend. He, he was just... Awful. <laughs> like it was absolutely it was. shocking. It was how bad he was. Maybe, uh, maybe was, the was best bridge option to this is is Harvey Elliott because he's got um, well, not not speed, but at least he's got a turn of, of acceleration in his game, and he can sort of bridge that between a narrow four four two and sort of being in the attack on the on the. Mm. Or you could play Harvey on the right, Mo through the middle, and Gakpo on the left. I know it's not ideal, but at least you get Mo's pace through the middle. Um, knowing Klopp, he'll he'll start James Milner um, as some sort of reward. You know, some people give their pets a treat. Jurgen gives his starts in a Liverpool team that are you know should be trying to win things. Um, we we have no good options at the moment. If Darwin is out, we have no good option in attack. Uh, we're very, very short in midfield, and without Ibu, we're very, very short in defence, which kind of summarises where we are right now and why this coming summer is going to be so big. Um, we might as well do predictions then. What what do you see happening in this game? Um, I'm going to go for an eventful and overly open 2-2. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today 
and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. You think we're scoring two goals in this game? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I'm going to go for one more prediction as well. Okay. First red card of the career for Stefan Basetic. Oh! Oh! A nice, a nice meaty tie high tackle on Luka Modric. One on Modric and then chasing down Valverde as he runs three for three, two. He sides him down just like Valverde did to Correa in the Super Cup a few years ago. <laughs> Do you think he could catch Valverde? Well, no, that's why he's fouling him. <laughs> I don't know if he'd get close enough to foul him. Um, all while Andy Robertson is, you know, aimlessly up the pitch, wondering where, where things went wrong. Um, Yeah, I, I yeah, I'll I'll go a draw as well, but I'll go one one. Be a bit more conservative. I'll go one one. You think we can see um, just one goal in this game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, Virgil, I'm, I'm backing. I'm backing the great man to have a have a big game because fuck me, do we need them to have a big game? Yeah. Ali, um, Ali, bring your spare gloves. You'll need them. Yeah, Ali, see if you have a brother who looks. Similar to you, and maybe the two years can stand the goal. Brother. We know he has a brother. He's playing. I know, but does he look movie. similar to him? Is that his brother? Alison. Maybe, maybe, maybe instead of bringing in Harvey or Firmino or Jota or anyone, we just play Callagher as well in this game. Right. So we've got we've got Muriel, who who doesn't have the hairline to pull this job off. Um. If we can get him fitted with a wig and and maybe stick the two of them in goal and just try and convince the referee that he's just got temporary double vision or something and there's actually only one of them in there, <laughs> maybe that's our best option. Um, yeah, I'll I'll go one one, but I'm not I'm not at all confident going into this game. Um, Newcastle, we 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 got Newcastle at a good time. And we, we hit them twice early and then that red card. But, I mean, from from the moment of the red card, the 70 minutes that are played, where they're the better team. Um, so that's a concern. And I think Everton did a shit, so you wouldn't take anything from that game. Um, yeah, it should be should be an interesting game. It's probably the right time for us to get Real yeah. because they're still trying to feel things out themselves and they're missing some important players in, in Cruz and... And Chuameni, and obviously Benzema is not at a hundred percent fitness level. So you know, you you would hope that maybe we remember how to play football for a prolonged period of time in this one, and we can get the job done. Um, Carl, before we go, David Ornstein is reporting this morning that Marcus Crush, the sporting director of Eintracht Frankfurt is somebody we are looking at to fill our sporting director role this summer. Uh, He was the RB Leipzig sporting director from 2019 to 2021, less than a two-year stint there, Uh, joined Eintracht. He's coming up on two years there. There's a very small sample size of what this man can do and it's a bit of a mixed bag. I'm not really sure what my thoughts on this are, other than that when we did our top five lists recently, he didn't even come into consideration for me and wouldn't have if I was putting together a top ten. No, same for me. Uh, I don't think that there's been hugely notable deals that he's done that you can point to and say, wow, this was this was incredible work, and certainly not three or four of them across a two-year period. I mean, Rafael Borre maybe would be, I think, the, the standout success there with, with Eintracht. Uh, mm. I mean, there's a couple of... And, and Guardiol was the best one at, <laughs> at Leipzig because the, the deals they did in the summer of 2019, he had no real involvement with, and Kunku and those were done... His first signing was Danny Almo. Okay, well, I mean, 
I'm not 100% sure, to be honest, of how much influence and how quickly he was involved in the, the Leipzig one. So I'm sort of not really even considering them because they have like a, a tracking network which goes on for, for so long, which involves quite a lot of people all over the place, to be honest. So even any of the, the players who came in under his watch there, fine, good, but I, I don't know how much to sort of allocate the decision making of to his or just getting the deal done was his, if you know what I mean. Um, whereas I think Eintracht he definitely does have much more of a, a decision making remit as well so there's some players who could be quite good there like, I, I don't mind all those players like Lucas Lario I think has always had quite a bit of talent but Leverkusen never quite got the best out of him that could be decent Jens Peter Hager from AC Milan not so keen on that one to be perfectly honest not really no, not really sure about that that's been paying real life money for Mario Götze as well questionable even if like he, the, the, he's obviously got talent sort of thing um I don't know. I mean, Randall Colomwani coming in is obviously a big success. Fine. Luca Pellegrini is a good player. Fine. I don't know that there's names and, and deals there that you would say, this is what Liverpool are lacking. But maybe, mm. but this is this is mainly the reason why I wouldn't have him on my list, is I've no idea how this works with him. I've no idea if like it's his direction or he is uh, taking like, quite a lot of information and suggestions on board from whether it's a, a data setup that they have there or whether it's a, a traditional scouting setup that they have there or whether it's I don't know all a bit piecemeal and a bit of everything I don't know whether he has really good reputation through certain areas of the recruitment world I, I don't know there's not enough about this guy that I know to say this is why Liverpool want him or this is why we shouldn't want him um, it's an an odd one I think because there are Clearly, other people who I think would be very, very suited, but that doesn't mean that he's not. I just he wouldn't he wouldn't figure on my radar at all. I don't think. No, no, I'd be the same. You know, it would also be a concern to me that he's going for three sporting director jobs in in the space of what would be five years. Yeah, that that's the thing for me. Like, why did you leave Leipzig for Eintracht? Like, that's. Even if it's a, even if it's an uh, um, an enhanced role, it's not exactly an ambitious move. Now, look, they went on and won the Europa League last season, and I'm sure he played a part in in some of the signings there, like you mentioned, um, a couple of players that have come in under his watch, and then he's had a, some some good signings for this season, but some some really questionable ones as well. And then the other thing that that I would look at as well is. Eintracht before him were also quite good at identifying talent and they made a number of good signings in the, the couple of years before he arrived there. So it's it's not necessarily that he's made any sort of improvements to how they operate. And with, with Leipzig, I suppose just because of the nature of how they operate, the machine just carries on. So he dropped in they just kind of continued to do what they were doing he leaves and they just continue to do what they were doing the one thing i do think he might have a decent eye for is a wide player like you know i'm a fan of donny almo um i think he's a, a really good player he was also the uh main driving force behind them uh, between be, between uh, sorry behind eintracht signing Jesper Lindstrom, who I really like. But then he did sign Jens Peter Hogg, uh, who's been binned out on loan after only a few months, having played, uh, I think, a season and a bit. So that's that's a little bit of a concern to me. Um, oh, look, we can only wait and see. He, he it, It's just a name that Ornstein's put out there. He might not be the name. He might be one of a few people that we're looking at. But the lack of a, a real distinct track record is a concern to me. And um, as you said, there's not enough known about how he operates. Is he heavily data-led? Does he have a big network of, of scouts that he's got access to that he can bring to Liverpool? We'll have to wait and see. Um, do you have anything to plug before we go? No. There we go then. Right, folks, thank you always for listening. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. 
Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.